where people could help each other, uh, but when no one's asking, no one knew. Mm. So everyone just went without, and it yep. just seemed an unnecessary struggle through life. And just that just made no sense to me. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 211 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with David Tui. David Tui is the founder and CEO of Mind For Me, a community support platform helping people help each other. David has over 25 years experience owning and operating many businesses from an advertising agency to bars and restaurants. In 1996, he started his first online venture, Cars on the Net, a used car marketplace. His second online venture, a membership-based platform for the accounting industry, saw over 24,000 accountants join globally. Mind for me is David's third online venture and his first with social purpose. It draws on dormant and underutilized resources from within the community to provide support and assistance to people in need. It empowers people with the ability to manage their own needs and assist others in a variety of ways. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss David's journey with Mind For Me and we'll learn more about that platform. We'll get David's thoughts and perspective on what the future holds post-COVID-19 and we'll get David's advice for other social entrepreneurs. So David, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Well, to kick things off, David, it's, uh, it's going to be good to learn a bit more about your background and what led you to your passion in social enterprise. It's a bit of a long background as it's around the innovation aspect that led me to social enterprise. And uh, looking back, I realize I'm older than I think I am. And I've had what feels like a few lives now yeah. uh, that together have led me to where I am. I was studying accountancy at the University of Canberra back in 94 when I landed myself in business. My partner at the time, uh, she couldn't find decent paid work as a graphic designer. So we started our own firm and created the job for her. And that eventually evolved into a full-service advertising agency, yeah. and I was surrounded by creatives, but my skills have always been in the management side of things. Yeah. Uh, at that time, I did have quite a personal struggle with, with it all. Uh, I don't think you'd call it imposter syndrome, which a lot of people talk about, because I was confident in what I was doing, uh, but I was young and young in business, and that left me feeling that others would see me as some sort of imposter and too young for what I was doing. Yeah. Those were some mad years, though. It was in that time when I began Cars on the Net and uh, getting car yards to list their cars online for sale. Yeah, right. Competitors then, a little bit different to now, uh, the competitors were newspapers and the trading posts, so there wasn't really much or anything at all online. But people in Australia hadn't really started buying things online. Mm. You know, they didn't even have have emails. You were were before Uh, your time. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, but I did quite enjoy it. 
and web websites, everything just felt more brochures, a lot less engaging. So we've progressed a lot since then. Yeah, I'm not sure what led me to, to that sort of innovation. Uh, I think a lot of it just came from problem solving, seeing issues and seeing how they can be addressed. And back then, I think I had a, a little less fear. Maybe it's not changed a great deal, but I feel a lot more responsibility now. Things move uh, so fast and it's a lot more competitive, mm. certainly more than in the 90s and online. Yeah. I found myself involved in some crazy projects too. In 98 or 99, myself and two others, Neil and Tony, we had this idea around buying a ship. So from memory, uh, we were seeking $20 million to buy a ship for a floating exhibition centre and a marketplace for Australia. We had support and interest from government agencies. It was education, tourism, the Council for the Centenary of Federation were on board. But then it was pretty much knocked on the head when a state trade commissioner wasn't going to give it any support because they were backing another project that was on the water. Yeah, right. Um, and something I certainly don't, can't imagine myself taking on now. But now I think because of technology, my goals are much, much bigger than, than back then. Mm. I'm surprised to think of some of what I did and what I achieved uh, as well in that time. Back in, was it 2005, six, I was living in Manchester and working with an accounting firm. Yeah, right. uh, and I started creating my own cool tools as a management accountant for, for my work. I moved to Poland and began the Accountant Circle. And that was a subscription platform licensing Excel tools and templates and providing accounting, uh, accounting software uh, to a to accountants yeah. rather than direct to clients. At the time, I wasn't looking so closely at the numbers and the, and the people that were using it, which might sound kind of funny as an accountant, <laughs> but I, I just enjoyed the work. And when I look back at, at the number of people that, were, that had, had subscribed into the account circle, there were over 24,000 accountants and literally around the world. I had some major international airports, accounting firms everywhere in the Caribbean, uh, Zambia and other parts of Africa and across Asia. Wow. It, it was right then when I was starting that that I realised the need for a, a platform like mine for me. I was in a, a small town in West Poland. I'd moved there and it was about 20, 25,000 people there. So friendly and hospitable. Yeah. It was great. You know, you walk into a local bakery or a butcher and, and things like that, had those nice little stores. People all said hi and goodbye as you'd leave the store yeah. and, and things. But the place had really hard history and people weren't, you know, they didn't have a lot and led, you know, comparatively simple lives. Mm. And I, I was happy there and I felt comfortable. I've never really been driven a lot by material things, uh, even financial goals. I, I just uh, enjoy life and, and work I choose. Yeah. And, but there I saw people struggle. Many can't, couldn't afford real help and usually got by just with a bit of hand, but from immediate families, maybe some close close friends. And seeing them struggle, that's what it, when it hit me, that the resources were everywhere. People could help each other, uh, but... When no one's asking, no one knew. Mm. So everyone just went without. And it yep. just seemed an unnecessary struggle through life. And just that just made no sense to me. Yeah, I've volunteered with many groups. I'm, I'm a, a lifesaver now and have been for about eight years. I've been on boards with several not-for-profits and, and charities. First formal role on a board was 20 years ago as treasurer, quite funny, uh, of uh, women in information and communication. I just feel it's important to give back and, and be creative mm. or be active in, in creating uh, the community that we want, the world we want, yeah. put our skills and energy into those worthwhile causes. Mm. 
And so you've mentioned Mind for Me and you spoke about Poland and, you know, those resources being there for people to help each other, neighbours to help each other. So I'm really keen to hear a little bit more about this organisation and it's great to have you as a participant on our Elevate Plus Accelerator program with Mind for Me. But tell us what you're seeking to achieve with this. How does it actually work? Well, when, it st- when I was started it and or thinking about it, really, I took a lot of time planning it. So this was back in 2007, and I'd already been through my experience with cars on the net and was getting into the accountant circle, and both of those were really hard work. Uh, I enjoyed it, but the market wasn't ready for those, and it, it, it was a, a lot of uphill work. Yeah. And with mine for me, I, I still had a lot to learn, a lot to understand, and a lot of planning. I didn't know what a social enterprise was then. I don't recall thinking terms like purpose or impact. My background's business background, and but one where you know I focus on value and benefit, not not just revenue, and that's what drives me. And with mine for me, what I was looking at simply the need and the benefit of people helping each other, and when people look out for each other a little more. I was thinking what could be done to make it easy to ask for that little bit of help, whether it's mm. babysitting, feeding, walking a pet, help with errands, things around the home, just any little thing people can help with, but if they knew. And a part of that is where the idea of kind coins came from, which is a type of point system. So people so firstly don't have to spend money to get this help. The resources are right there. They're around mm. us all. Yeah. And But one problem is people asking for a favour, you know, whether it's free or, or however however that's perceived, yeah. the kind coins was a way that it's not volunteering, it's not charity and people aren't just taking. Mm. So that lets people be more comfortable to ask for the help yeah. and they could choose who to ask and and have other ways to give back as well. So, so essentially my, if I, I was yeah. to want my lawn mowing, for example, how would I go about getting that done through mine for me? Uh, basically, when you're on the platform, all you do is make a request. And when you're making a request, you say what you need. So in that case, something around in the garden and you can you can click uh, lawn mowing yep. and you just say when you want it, how, how much time do you usually spend on it? So you might say a window of on tomorrow on Saturday, about half an hour of lawn mowing. It calculates the kind coins. So there's no negotiation. Everyone's fair and we're not yep. even tied to it financially. There's no money in that. And it puts a request out and it and that request is to who you choose, whether it's friends or just a public request. Mm. And people can, when it suits them, offer that help. Yeah, right. So re- really it's about being fair and inclusive and it's purpose-built for that mm. uh, to interact more with your friends, your family and, and your neighbours, whether you know them or you don't. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. sounds like a great community-building tool as well, David, because even now I don't feel like I know as many neighbours as I should. I spent close to 10 years living in Barcelona in, in apartments whereby, you know, there were sort of four doorways on each each level of an apartment block and it wasn't common for people to really get to know each other. So this sort of platform sounds like a good way to build communities. So given the impact of our current COVID-19 world and, you know, we're talking in April 2020 at the moment, right mm-hmm. in the middle of it, how do you think our communities change into the future and how might we best adapt to this new environment that we're all living in yeah well with this one i don't really want to have rose-colored glasses um, when i think about it i'd like to think that that people do realize true values and deeper values and uh, the materialism the perfect lifestyles that people keep portraying on social media 
that that hopefully as we come out of it will be a little less important. Yeah. I'd like to think that people show more respect to one another, but it is disappointing to see on the news and things still racist behaviour around around COVID-19. Mm. What I hope is people will better connect with those core values and what has deeper meaning to them, not just that 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 uh, shallow on the surface type thing and how people see them. Yeah. Uh, so it's a real opportunity for social enterprise and as for community, I think it's an opportunity to become stronger. Yeah. People look out for each other. There's a lot of push around essential services, frontline services, healthcare, to give them help and support. And mm. that, that's, a, that's an opportunity. We keep seeing it in crisis that people come together, whether it's floods or droughts or bushfires. But very quickly after, we go back to a normal and into our homes and with our own families. Yeah. And maybe the extent of this and how hard it is uh, maybe it's a chance that people really get to understand and feel the value of a supportive, connected, connected community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know it's, it's been a challenge for a lot of businesses, a lot of social enterprises, many of which we see pivoting at the moment. So, as a relatively early stage social enterprise yourself, what have you found to date to be some of the biggest challenges, and how have you worked around them? Yeah, well, there's a couple, uh, two main ones that uh, that jump out. The first one, I think it's a big one for many, is uh, around funding. Yeah. When I started it, I had the funds. I planned what was needed. I knew the costs. I, I had that all mapped out and used a lot of my skills as an accountant. But the initial developers I had, and I was comfortable with their ability, unfortunately, they were far more focused on money than delivering, mm. kept wanting and asking for more, which I just didn't have. Even though we'd agreed agreed how much it would be to get to that MVP stage, I ended up either in a fight uh, to get money fun- funded, uh, refunded, or, or or get the work finished. But I couldn't get either of those done, actually. So mm. really, it was another way of moving forward. And that's been really slow, pushing a lot of the code myself, slowly getting bits of help and doing it hard, pushing yep. uphill. Yep. Uh, the second area is being a sole founder. I really do wear too many hats and I rarely ask for help myself. Kind of funny with mine for me about asking for help. Uh, but yeah. only recently have I asked and, and have a few people starting to give a hand. Mm. My biggest weakness is probably communication, ability to get a simple, clear and concise message across. Yeah. And that's probably a combination of many years living in Poland and, and losing a lot of my confidence with speaking because I didn't use English to a, to a great extent there. It was very simple, simple speaking. Mm. But also being close to so many aspects of mind for me and the depth of it, knowing and thinking too much about it. Yeah. So having now getting some incredible insight from others, people that know and understand mind for me and, and what it can bring to everyone. Mm. But how they, you know, these are people that can present and communicate much better than I can. Yeah. So now I'm just starting to draw on their strengths uh, to move forward. So in addressing both of those, one thing that I'm running right now is a crowdfunding campaign, and that that's a big challenge because a big part of it is communication, but mm. it helps tackle the funding side as well. Yep. And, and it's sort of still wearing, wearing too many hats, but having that bit of help gives me more confidence and I, and I can see you know, greater opportunity for success going forward. Yeah, yep, totally. Well, it's good to hear about the crowdfunding campaign. So I'll stick a link through to that in the article so that our listeners can check it out. So yeah, thanks, Tom. it sounds like you've got some, some good learnings there. So what advice then would you give to other social entrepreneurs who are starting out? Uh, the three three areas uh, I think I'd 
touch on that would hopefully help others. From my own experience, the first one and the big one was timing. Uh, so timing it right, both for technology and being able to achieve what you want to achieve, but also really that's right for the market. When I started Cars on the Net and the Accountant Circle, they were both really early. Most people didn't have email with Cars on the Net. They were only just getting into using the internet and many people didn't have it. Yeah. With the Accountant Circle, accountants then weren't using online accounting software. Zero was only just getting started. There were a lot of issues of trust and things. So if you've got something that's truly innovative, the market can be a challenge uh, getting those early adopters. Uh, so timing it right where their behavior, what they're prepared to do, I think it will make adoption a, a lot easier. Mm. So the second area, which many say actually is funding, where I, I'll try to add, add a little bit to it, which is not to be too optimistic with revenue. Uh, be careful with your expenses and t- a, l- a little bit tight. And from a financial background, really manage it, have an idea of what's happening, your financial position, yep. that, you know, that runway and, and where money's going and how fast it's, it's moving in or out. Mm. and leverage off others, collaborate, find ways to give them value so you can reduce, you know, cut your expenses but still add value yeah. and get and move forward. Yeah. The, the third area, the, this will sound funny, I think, the last bit of advice I'll give is about advice. Everyone has an opinion <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and the thing is you know more than most people about the problem, your vision and how, you, how you're looking to address it. So opinions are important and they can give you a lot of ideas that can be really valuable. But there's so many people that will take five minutes, not know everything that you're working on and everyone you're talking to, and they'll be happy to throw their two cents worth Mm. in. And you just have to really weigh it up, not take... Take a lot of it with a grain of salt, but decide for yourself what's actually helpful yeah. and what to, to pretty much discard or, or just to shelve for later. Yeah, that's some great advice, David. I'm sure many can take some value from that. So what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently which you believe are creating some great positive social change? The first one, which I, I connect a lot with around the values and their, and their vision, is the Human Connection Project. Mm. We both know Matt Boyce and just hearing his story, his passion, the, the whole purpose, it's just so inspiring. Yeah. And many of his, his values and the values reflected in the Human Connection Project, they're just aligned so closely with mine for me yeah. to have supportive and connected uh, society where people, you know, they ask for help, they speak out about their problems, they look after after each other and they're all included in a part of it. Yeah. One that in the last couple of months I came across is called Recan. This one's a, a door-to-door recycling collection service currently only in Brisbane and a, a part of Ipswich and, and Logan, but hopefully they'll grow because what they do is that door-to-door collection for the eligible containers, you know, the, the 10 cent refunds. Yep. And yesterday, yesterday morning, I had my first collection and it, it was easy to register online, just put, put in your address and set a, a time that they'll come and collect it and they give you the bags. And rather than, you know, so many people, I think, just still throw out recycling or they put in a recycling bin and I'm not even sure how much of that's truly recycled. Yeah. But these guys just make it simple and easy. Mm. You can crush your cans and everything. They take a $5 fee, but that's out of the refund and then they pass on the rest of the refund. Yeah, right. I think with that, when people see it, a lot of people start 
we'll, we'll switch and actually be a bit more active in recycling those containers. Yeah, great. Uh, the last one, which a lot of people talk about and, and they, they deserve to be talked about, I think, yeah, but I have known about them for a few years, is Orange Sky Laundry. Mm. One thing about them, and it's the same like Human Connection Project, but also Meals on Wheels, where it, there's a service around it, but it's really about the connection and that's where the value lies, the interaction and the engagement. And one thing actually with mine for me is I've learned from my own experience around the homeless, there's a desire for, that they have for wanting to be a part of the community, to be mm. included, to be valued. Yep. So I'm hoping that we'll play at least some part in bringing them into into the community once we're a bit stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, I'll stick some links through to those. And we're lucky enough to have interviewed Matt Boyce just a couple of episodes ago and also Lucas and Nick from Orange Sky Laundry, so our, our audience can check those other interviews out. So to finish off, David, books and resources, what would you recommend? Uh, the first one I think is a great read is uh, Crucial converse- Conversations. Uh, so often we're held back because of conversations we're not comfortable with and we mm. avoid, yeah. and this one helps arm you with some tools and, and methods to tackle those conversations. So it considers the emotions, it creates a safe environment, one of value and respect while focusing on, on the goals of, of having the conversation. Yeah. Uh, the second read that, I, that I'd mention is Who Owns the Future? Uh, currently, the big players online, they've got massive valuations and the wealth is uh, centralized. It's held by a few, by very few people. Yeah. And it's a, but it's the numbers of people that use these platforms, these social networks, and that contribute and produce the content that creates the real value. But most of those people, they, they're not the ones getting paid. And this book actually looks at an alternative model for technology in the future. Hmm. The last book, which I just enjoy the story, uh, really, the early days, is uh, McDonald's Behind the Arches. So for the founder, the journey of Ray Kroc, which more or less is the real founder of what became McDonald's today, you know, they were near failure. They managed to sort of bluff their way to success and had an accountant that saw a profitable financial model. It wasn't even the main fast food business the public knew of. And it just shows the vision, the persistence, the determination, the way they sort of pivoted, the verge of failure, and the way that they actually cared about others in the value chain, their suppliers, the franchisees, and even the customers and the community around them. Yeah. With health aside now, it's certainly a different time back then. Mm. But it's a great story of the early days, and I think uh, people would be able to relate to it and learn from it. Yeah, they sound like a couple of great books, David. So thanks for sharing those. And importantly, thanks to you for your time today. It's great to hear your, your insights, to learn more about Mind For Me. And, and it's an absolute pleasure to be collaborating with, with you at the moment on Elevate Plus. So thanks for all the hard work you're putting in and we'll look forward to following your journey as you continue along. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.